when I look at some of the people though within the community that have taken the social model to this extreme, um, where, where it's creating this this them and us culture. Hi, I'm Brooke Melhouse. Welcome to Disabled and Proud, the podcast that does exactly what it says on the tin. Each week, the show highlights an awesome disabled guest speaking about their own disability, why they're proud to be disabled, and why they're proud to be themselves. Chris, welcome to Disabled and Proud. How are you today? Hi, Chris. I'm doing really well, thanks. It's Friday. I know. This week has honestly, like, I actually don't know when it started and when it's going to stop because I just feel like all of the days are actually one big day. I've had no separate days, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but it's no, it's it's good. I mean, things things are really, uh, I think, positive and encouraging now. I I don't think I think we're, I'm past being able to look at that from a new year sort of 2024 perspective. I think there's a lot of good stuff happening, and a lot of people are really positive about this year and yeah, in general. I always and, find that January is actually I know everybody loves a whole like new year, new me. And I'm like, it's the middle of winter. I'm still going to be the same person I was at the beginning of December because I'm cold. And actually, like, I'm just going to wait until, like, maybe February to have, like, my whole new year, new me. But I really enjoyed January, to be fair. It was a good month for me. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Happy days. Yeah. So the first question that I ask everybody is, how do you refer to your disability? Okay. Well, I mean, I I can sort of relate to what Jamie Shields said to you in his podcast with you when he, he sort of referring to himself as a rhino because I would often refer to myself as a, a leprechaun because I'm Irish <laughs> and four foot five. <laughs> you know, I think um like I, I just call a spade a spade. Um I, mm-hmm. I have a like a, I'm deaf and disabled so I have a condition called osteogenesis imperfecta which is a tongue twister to start off with, but it's commonly known as brittle bone disease. So I, I break a lot of bones and mm-hmm. I'm a you know been a full time wheelchair user since the age of three. And as a result of that, one of the, the um symptoms and um effects with osteogenesis is that you have hearing loss. So I've got like fifty to sixty percent hearing loss in both the um mm-hmm. ears and my hearing aids. Yeah. Um so yeah, I mean but I I'm sort of one of these people that I I don't take, I mean, I, I mean, there's, there's obviously a huge amount of discussion around language at the moment. And mm-hmm. um, I, I am typically very accepting of how, you know, people would refer to me. And I think a lot of that just, you know, there, there's obviously a lot of um, ignorance in, in the best possible way. You know, it's not, not that, um, you know, people are still using out of date terms and, mm-hmm. you know, don't go down a, a rabbit hole with you about <laughs> language and everything else. But, you know, uh, I, I'm I'm very practical and and understanding about you know the way the world that we live in yeah. and the fact that there are you know certainly cultural differences there are just you know generational differences in terms of you know how how people um you know refer to to people within the dis, dis community and um I think I think though one thing I mean to to sort of take you down you know very quickly and that they you know one element in particular that I think is just a bit uncomfortable for me and has been mm-hmm. is the social model and mm-hmm. um I think how I've seen that used in different contexts. Um uh, and, and it really I think for me it started off just after I presented the um, Disability Paradox, which is a BBC documentary a couple of years ago where I was um bringing in a number of different presenters or contributors talking about the link between mental health and um disability, so this ultimate pursuit of happiness. And 
I one guy came on and after and he you know he's trolling me on Twitter and he was from the disabled community believe it or not and uh, he was yeah so um he kept on saying that I shouldn't have used the word disabled or disability it was a really negative word yep and like I was just sort of brushing it off at this stage and then it, it sort of got and like every single like I was getting so many positive comments which are amazing and um, from various different people all around the world and um you know it, this guy was just trolling every single person just trying to you know dismiss it and yeah. um I, I I eventually said like what what's the deal here and he said well um you know just using the word disabled is really um you know bad and has negative connotations and all the rest and he said I, I um I teach the social model I actually lecture the social model and I was going, okay, right. Um, and and he, he then went on to say, well, look, um, and, and this is where I, I ended up blocking the guy because he said that I'm more qualified to give my opinion because I'm more disabled than you are. And, and I was just like, what? <laughs> where does this come from? I mean, it's just, yeah. And and I think from there, from like, I guess my point with that is that it, it started a pattern of what I could see about what was being discussed around the social model and mm-hmm. this dissociative sort of um, use of it when, when people want to, and, and like, this is the thing, I, I, every single time when I'm talking in public or you know, for various different events, I will always say, like, I don't speak on behalf of the whole community. I'm just one person, I, you know, and this sits, and you yeah. know this because you, you know, you know, within your podcast, you're, you're brilliant at being able to give so many different voices and, um, you know, allowing people the um, ability to, to voice their opinions and, um, you know, you do it in a way that, that is extremely balanced. And I, I think um, there's a huge thing to be said for that. And, and you know, when I, when I look at some of the people, though, within the community that have taken the social model to this extreme, um, where, where it's creating this, um, this them and us culture. Yeah. You know, so I, you know, it, it's very divisive. It, it's like, and, and, and one, one particular term that I've seen is this sort of society, um, disabled by society, where I just have these visions in my head of, you know, a group of disabled people outside a train station pointing the finger at everyone walking past in the public going, it's your fault I'm disabled. Mm-hmm. And that to me is what it sounds like. You know, when we're saying disabled by society, like I completely agree that there's so much need and there's don't get me wrong the social model is very very good in terms of all these different things that are wrong with society all these barriers that exist for us in terms of lack of equality you know mm-hmm. access to jobs you know um, there there are so many good things that have to be said but I think my point here is that it's just not perfect and I think it's being used and bastardized in a way that um, I think is creating a lot of division and it's from from my experience working across advertising tv and film you know for over 20 years i can see that, that there's now this um you know a hesitancy with with brands to engage and i think they're scared they're sort of tiptoeing around this and, yeah. and and as this sort of progresses and develops i think it's it's quite damaging and it just you know I, i'm always erring on the side of caution in terms of how we're um viewed and represented and and um for me, like, and this is the thing, like, just to, to highlight this in terms of how people want to be referred to, like, everyone's entitled to their own opinion mm-hmm. completely. Um, and I just, you know, I, I just am very cautious of how this is being portrayed and taken to a, a very extreme form. So, 
Um, I, I've given a very long-winded <laughs> answer about how I see my disability, Brick, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely a couple of things that have been sort of playing in the back of my mind for a long time about, you know, that, that sort of mm-hmm. identity. Um, I think what you said about how you don't speak for a whole community is so important because so often when we think about disability like and and quite often sometimes you're the only disabled person in the room so it's almost like you could be the spokesperson but actually you're not and I I could never ever claim to speak for an entire community of people that's like 1.6 million in the UK alone but I I do not have all of those voices all of those opinions I, I don't have them I have one you know, that's a very teeny tiny portion in comparison to the 1.6 million, which is like absolutely ludicrous. And I love what you said about people being fearful, because I think you're right. I think there's almost like people don't want to get it wrong. So the answer to not getting it wrong is to, to actually just not ask the question, which is infuriating on one hand, because quite often you would rather be asked the question but on the other hand, I can totally understand why people don't ask certain questions because they're scared that they're going to get a new. Oh God, I was really, I was really trying to avoid using bad language, but you're going to get a new asshole ripped if you you, you ask the wrong person, and I, and I can totally understand that because it's it's uncomfortable. And I'm a big believer if you, you're not uncomfortable, you don't grow, and like I'm very aware of that. But it it's not necessarily the nicest thing in the world to to, to ask a genuinely curious question. All right, it might be worded a little bit wrong, and, and that's maybe not your fault. But there's something about them being handed your ass back to you when you were asking quite an innocent question that can make you fearful is not necessarily the right word. But, you you, you know, you're a bit um, reluctant to ask another question because you don't know what the response is going to be. So actually, in, in that sense, sometimes it's better just to not ask the question. And I know there have been countless times where I've done that when it's been like I've gone to a mechanic and they have literally ripped me a new one because I didn't know how to change my tyres. Obviously, I don't know how to change my tyres. I only have one hand. That was never going to be a job that I was ever going to do. (laughs) So I can understand it because there are other parts of of life that it matches up to and it measures to. And I think that is also really important to be able to say it because it's not necessarily the easiest thing to say, is it? That actually sometimes as a community, we can get it wrong too. And and people are, again, very, very afraid of that. Well, I've got it wrong. And actually, yeah. but even if you do get it wrong, there's there's space for you to then grow and and you can move forward with that. But if you don't get it wrong and you just don't even ask the question, we don't move and we and we don't progress. Totally. And and I think you know one of the things where, especially my whole uh, thought process in in really analysing this, has been from a place of the difference that I have with my disability over others mm-hmm. and the, the you know the the considerations that I have to to make in terms of my own safety and my like vulnerability like a lot of people will say oh no well we're not vulnerable and all this but I I unfortunately I am you know I can't mm-hmm. you know if I get I get mugged and I was like I someone tried to carjack me a number of years ago and that was a real you know experience mm-hmm. but like I can't you know I literally cannot defend myself I will break into small pieces yeah. and you know, even down to things like you know when we're talking about how you know within the social model that society can make things these various different things etc i mean I, I remember having a chat with a guy last year at a, a bfi event and we were, we were talking about this and he was saying well look you know uh, society can make all these things that you can't do accessible and they should do and i said well, you can't i mean i can't i'll never be able to ride a horse or ride a jet ski or hike a mountain you know there, there are things that are just you know 
number one, too risky. Um, mm-hmm. And society can't fix those things. I mean, society, if I want to hike a mountain, right, number one, there's that, you know, underlying risk that I have to start off with about any contraption that would get me up a mountain. But number two, I can't take that because I'm a wheelchair user. I can't make that conscious decision on a Sunday morning to say, yeah, I'm going to go off and hike a mountain and do that independently. Yeah. It's going to take, let's face it, a team and anyone else who's a wheelchair user, it's going to take a team of people to, to make that happen. So there, there are things that you know society just can't do and it's just not society's fault. And I think that's where I'm coming from, that mm-hmm. not everything is society's fault. And I think there's this um, broad brushstroke that, that's being made um, where you know, it, it's all society's fault and there's no... Uh, you know, it, it's it's nothing to do with disability at all and the impairments, and I, I just that that is the the arc with with me. That I totally understand what you mean because I the, the one phrase that I like cannot stand when it comes to disability is that only disability is a bad mindset because I just think you're completely washing over disability in itself and and don't get me wrong like I'm a big believer in mindset and and having a positive mental attitude and being really able to take a holistic look at your life but I feel like you know that that horrendous phrase like oh that the only disability is a bad mindset well actually like you're you're really sweeping under the rug a lot of societal problems a lot of systemic problems problems that we have with our educational system problems that we have with our political system it's it's such a broad like and as you said like a complete brushstroke of completely forgetting about half of the issues that really are important and when I see it being used and particularly by people who who are in the disabled community I'm like I think in the nicest way possible you need to have a step back because if you feel like you can say that I'm not necessarily sure you're aware of the problems that disabled people are facing because at, at that level you're not you know that this whole idea that we can fix everything by mindset now don't get me wrong I'm a big big believer in mindset I do believe that there's a lot that can be cured is the wrong word but there's a lot that you can look at in your life and be appreciative for and, and actually you know your mindset will get you a lot further than if you just completely ignore it but when we completely ignore and remove systemic issues and societal issues then that in that that in and of itself is a problem because you're you're completely being like you're completely washing away a lot of the reasons why people fight for what they fight for and actually there's a lot of privilege in being able to say that because then you're not realizing that actually the maybe the way that that you're disabled is maybe not the way somebody else is disabled which I think is always my point is that actually disability is incredibly individual and that really ties in nicely to what you said is that you will never be able to speak for an entire community which is true because I will never be able to speak for an entire community we are both disabled, but we're both disabled in very different ways. But yeah, we are still both disabled. I feel like that was really clever. I honestly feel like I've just been like, I've used all my brain power up in that sentence. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> That's why I have a coffee and a standby here. Just to Absolutely fair. Going. Absolutely fair. I wish I'd done the same. I actually have yeah. a little cup of peppermint tea, which I feel is like really wholesome. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> so you have i can't even say it properly osteogenesis imperfecta imperfecta yay she's got it right and so obviously that presents at a very very young age 
So yeah. with that, what was childhood and, and growing up, particularly considering it's your bones that are very fragile, what was that experience like for you? Yeah. Um, I mean, childhood is pretty difficult because as a child, you're naturally moving around a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, you're very curious and um, the, the majority of my fractures happened um, in my early years. So it was just a constant cycle of having broken bones in hospital, rehab, physio to try and get back on my feet. Because I was, you know, walking up until about the age of three and then I was just like, you know, using the, the chair full time. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, like, I, I would say in primary school, it was great. When I got into secondary education and grammar school, it was, um, it was tough. Um, mm-hmm. Bullied a lot. And um, I, I, I think one of the things I always laugh about when I, when I tell people is that getting, getting my driving license, which the government, as you probably know, allow people to do at the age of 16 if you've got a disability, um, was the demise of my education. Um, because, yeah, because I, I, after, I guess, you know, if, if we're going to you know, get me on the chaise long and, and you know, um, talk, talk about the, the um, you know, the, the psychological aspect of, you know, where that comes from, it was obviously being cooped up in hospital for, for mm-hmm. so, so long, you know, and, and having that restriction. So as soon as I could get my independence, I was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> and it was like, you know, that was, that was the end of my education. I, became, you know, I, I just was off to see the world. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, uh, I went back to business school, did, did um, you know, did something with the, the chart and marketing and a number of years later, but uh, was like, no, I, I was off and I was away to Bifa, um after school and set up my first business um, shortly after that and never looked back sort of thing. So. I love that as well, because yeah. there's, there's like a realisation that actually the reason that you value freedom so much is because in younger years, it was very much like broke a bone in hostel. Hostel means rehab. Rehab means time. Time means I'm here for quite a long time because it could happen in the next two minutes. And there's And there's something really really wonderful about having that own self-reflection that you're like oh I can see as to why that part of my life and that part of my life mesh together equal that part of my life yeah and obviously that like that only comes with wisdom right like I've never met a 16 year old who's like yeah like I know why I do this because of this or if I have met them I'm like you haven't been a kid like you you did not enjoy childhood (laughs) you reflected way too much yeah and that's it. Like I, I think everyone's got their own journey, and uh, you know, it, it's just you know we're we're all navigating life in our own ways, and I'm just trying to figure things out. And, mm-hmm. and you know, we we do it in a way that is obviously based around our own circumstances. And I think one of the things that I, you know I always talk about is um, you know a, a guy called Andy Nairn who um, runs a an ad agency in London called Lucky Generals. Mm-hmm. His wife is MS, and he talks in his book, um, which is called Go Luck Yourself, and I'm not promoting it. I'm not on commission, um, but it, it's a great book um, if you're in that in that sort of industry. But he, he refers to people with disabilities as being more creative mm-hmm. because we are natural problem solvers. And I thought that was a really, you know, that was a, a golden nugget um, that that you know I could relate to, and I'm sure many other um, others relate to as well in terms of just how we are so. I'm going to use the word resilient, but you know, <laughs> in terms of, <laughs> but you know, you know what I mean. You know, we 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 are though. I mean, I think you know when it comes to um facing the barriers that we have head on, 
and those different challenges, we are able to, you know, to navigate them and, and figure things out in a way that, that um, you know, we can um, sort of get on some sort of level playing field. And, uh, you know, so, some, sometimes that comes obviously through the likes of an acquired disability where it's, it's you know, a huge shock, but some of us, you know, are obviously born with disabilities and, you know, we, we have that sort of bit more of a gradual path in, into the world of disability. Um, but, you know, by and large, we, we seem to be able to figure it out and make things work. Yeah, for sure. I was wondering, how has your disability, disabilities, how did that impact your choices in career that you made? Or on the flip side, did it not even enter the conversation? Yeah, um, hugely because mm-hmm. with my disability, I've got like chronic fatigue and you know, it was always a case of trying to navigate any sort of business interest around my disability because of whatever could come around the corner. So I, it was always with that aspect of self-employment that I could control mm-hmm. the narrative um and and it like it's it is difficult because you know when when you're um i guess faced with various different things like having debilitating fatigue Mm -hmm. and like i have suffered from depression years ago and um you know it it hinders your success without a doubt um there there are um even more challenges to overcome and and it's just i think in terms of then the, the physical aspect as well so I, I mean my career has moved from um, I mean it's been a very entrepreneurial journey from advertising I was in hospitality for a while I had a restaurant back in Belfast and then sold it set up my first production company and have been in TV and film since but and I mean for, for the years that I've been in and, and working across uh, film one of the one of the big problems that I've always had is actually um, being a camera operator mm-hmm. and uh, and that's one of the things, obviously, we're, we're going to talk about today, which is sort of a nice yeah. segue, no pun intended, talking about my wheelchair, um, <laughs> in, into, but, you know, I, I have always said, like, you know, when, you know, if you do want to be a camera operator in, in TV and film, you, you need four arms, you need two yeah. arms to push yourself, if you're a manual chair, you need two arms to hold the camera, so, uh, you know, for, for me in particular, that was a you know, real challenge and it was something that I couldn't so that so the main role in a in a TV production mm-hmm. or film set is called a DP or DOP, which is your director of photography. And they're the sort of main person who'd be involved in, in you know filming and controlling, you know, the, the film that's done and, and you know um sort of coordinating the team of uh camera operators. Mm-hmm. But it's something that I've never been, I guess, authentically been able to take on because you know you really need to be able to run over to the other side of the studio, like squeeze in between two people and get the shot. Yeah. And, and you know, if you're using a wheelchair, you can't um, realistically do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and look, we're all, we are all very realistic about what we can and can't do. Like, I'm not going to be, you know, a gaffer and climb lights and, you know, install lights and climb up a scaffold and stuff like that. And it's yeah. no interest in doing it anyway. But, you know, I think we're all realistic about we we can and can't do and mm-hmm. our career choices really reflect that. Um so um I did, you know, I set up um I set up on trying to um create something, a new technology that would um enable me and others to uh really participate in, in that role mm-hmm. um in a job that just hasn't been um, possible before. So um I have a, a Segway wheelchair. 
that I've been using for a number of years ago, years now, called the Jenny, mm-hmm. and it's it's just amazing. I mean, it's it's um, based on the, the original Segway platform. Um, so using that, I thought that there was an opportunity to sort of base, um, you know, some sort of technology around it because mm-hmm. of the fact that you can sort of move your core to move forward and backwards, and um, it's very very agile. It's got a very small footprint. And so I started working with a, a company in London, and, and we've now brought this project, you know, to life. And we're, we're at the final stages of now being able to bring this vision and make it a reality. And uh, yeah, it's just like really, really exciting for me because I can see from so many people that I've been talking to, like um, Isaac Harvey yeah. and um, others, who for them it will mean being able to participate. Um, in a way that they just haven't before. So like for Isaac, for instance, you know, we can actually adapt the system and the way it works, um, you've basically got on the side of the chair, you've got a, um, you'll, you'll have a, a mount and you'll have a gimbal. So we've all mm-hmm. probably seen gimbals nowadays. We use them for phones and cameras and different things. So this is like a, a big gimbal that's mm-hmm. used um, in, you know, Hollywood and various different other you know, features and TV productions. And it essentially sits over the side and it has a, a wireless control system. So there's there's a couple of ways to control it. You could control it with a, a monitor and a couple of handle grips. You can actually control the, the movement of the camera and you can control the focus um, on this one unit. But if you're in a bigger production, um, typically what you'll have is someone to, it's called pull focus. So you'll have someone who'll wirelessly um, control the focus of the camera. Mm-hmm. And then someone um, will have someone then to control the gimbal. So it means that you know, Isaac can be using this in for toxic extenders. Yeah. And if he if he's like um following he he's in control of his chair and you know if he he's basically filming then the talent that's walking down the street, you have those two separate operators that are controlling the camera and the focus. So he he's sort of tasked with, you know, making sure that the camera is a uniform distance from him and the and the talent mm-hmm. and you know he's in control obviously of the whole whole um system and the movement so you know that's and i like and, and i'm really excited to be able to get him to to use this in a real world scenario because um as he said and you, you've probably seen from the the, the Karis video that's the name, the name of the system Karis. um it's uh you know changing how he's interacting on set you know he, he's no longer having to direct from the sidelines and he can be an active part and that's where i see this growing you know and being able to um work with so many different people with different impairments that um it, it, it is going to be a game changer and you know once we have this prototype built and developed we're going to scale it up so we're, we're going to get into you know panavision warner brothers we're going to try and take this over to the states in la and, and various different places um and it is, it's going to make a huge difference. So it's just um, really exciting. Um, but it, 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 you know, it's thanks to technology and where mm-hmm. we're at you know, today that, that it's being made possible. So, um, yeah. I honestly, like, my first thought is how many more incredible disabled filmmakers are now going to be able to do what they want to do? Because at this point in time, like, as you said, the technology, like, it, it's kind of there, but it's not necessarily there. And I just, as you were talking about it, like obviously you're so lit up by it because it's so important, but how many more creatives, and as we've already said, disabled people are some of the most creative people in the world because we're natural problem solvers. It, it, it kind of becomes ingrained in you to a point where it's completely second nature. How many 
incredible disabled filmmakers or TV producers or, or people who want to be in some form of production, TV, film, whatever, or like even to the point when we're talking about like YouTubers, like how many more of these people are yeah. we going to be able to see because of this? And that is incredible because like, like the creativity is there and, and it hasn't been before, which just means that there's just going to be so many more disabled people who are going to be able to shine their own light. And I'm like, I'm a big believer of that because I believe that everybody should be able to do that. But having the ability and, and creating something that's going to enhance that for someone else, I think is really, like, I think it's so invaluable because you you know, that like phrase, like, oh, like you've given someone their life back. It, it, it's almost like that because you're then bestowing a gift. And I, I don't mean gift as in like, here's a freebie. I mean, like, here's a gift in terms of, you have given someone something that they've wanted to do for so long, but society's not been able to help them do it. And you've got that product and you can be like, here you go, sorted. You can now use it and you can now do what you want to do. That is invaluable. I think it's, you know, it's funny that obviously it it takes for someone within the community to be able to do it because Mm -hmm. you need need that lived experience. And, you know, that's where it's really important for, you know, various different people within our community to, to try and innovate, to try and, mm-hmm. um, and I think that, you know, a lot of people are doing so many amazing things and it's just trying to, um, you know, see how we can make the world a better place for, for our community and for others. And, you know, this is going to translate into other areas. Um, obviously, I think that the, the fear I have is that the technology is going to be used by everyone and not just the disabled yeah. community. However, um, the conversations I've had, you know, there are a lot of people that are coming out and showing support for it. I mean, I've had widespread support across advertising, TV and film for this, and mm-hmm. a lot of people ready to get um, behind it. So, you know, it's just a case that we're, we're trying to fundraise the moment to get the hardware that we need to build a prototype. And, you know, once we have that, we'll, we'll be out, you know, we'll be on set, we'll be, you know, getting this in front of people and showing them the, the difference that it can make. And the thing I really like about it actually as well, Rick, is that, you know, there's a, there's a sort of similar technology that, that camera operators are using at the moment called Steadicam. Mm-hmm. You may have seen these, so they're not, I'm not a football fan, but um, on football pitches, for instance, it's the most, you know, probably the easiest example I can give, but the sort of where these camera operators would wear a vest and there's like a big mechanical arm that come out of the vest and that's designed to take the payload. So the camera would be on a, like a long sort of vertical stalk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the Steadicam that, you know, this, this, is going to actually give a competitive advantage over Steadicam operators because Steadicams need to have brakes factored in quite regularly because they're carrying so much weight. Yeah. And um, also one of the, the other things is that if you are, I mean, Steadicam is designed because of that, that sort of arm system to take out the y-axis movement. So that's if you're if you're walking, basically it's, it's eliminating that sort of up and down mm-hmm. uh, movement. If you have to run with a Steadicam, um, it, it's actually still going to be there. So you need to factor that in and edit that out in your post-production. Yeah. But, um, you know, obviously using a, a chair, that, that doesn't come into play at all. I mean, you've got the, the payload is just distributed across the wheelchair. So it means you've got a longer runtime and you've got a very smooth method of operation because you're using an electric vehicle, essentially. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's where we've, we've got a really good case to, to bring this, um, technology forward and you know enable people with disabilities to get out there and um, prove to the world that we can we can do it yeah 
I also really love what you said about how it had to be someone within the community that created it. Because I think I I can't remember who I was having this conversation with. So if this person is listening to us, thanks. I can't remember who you are, but the points that I'm about to make are, are valid because they kind of came from that conversation. And it was that as a disabled person, you have to kind of get really good with rejection quite quickly because the idea that you're going to have everything handed to you is, is completely like it, it's never going to work that way. But you kind of get used to door slamming in your face quite quickly because it's just a, a regular part of life. And actually having having that experience where like you yourself, you've gone through things and and you've almost had that like, I can see there's a problem and I can't fix it. And I'm not necessarily sure how to fix it. And it's that like, OK, how do I make this better? How can I do this better? But nobody's helping me. And then to be able to create something that's going to better so many people is is, again, like a really beautiful gift. And, and I love that because I think. There's so much, like, as we've already said, we're really hammering this point home, but I think it's one that needs to be hammered home is that there's so much, is it ingenuity? Ingenuity, ingenuity, one of the two of them, I can't remember which one it is. There's so much ingenuity in disability that actually you don't really get creativity without disability because you have to, like, you have to look at the world in a different way and you have to navigate the world in a different way. And and that is invaluable. And like just have, having that experience of like, yes, it's not working out the way that I want it to or it's not going my way. But actually, how can we make this better? Because ultimately, like it's not just about making it better for you. There's a whole host of other people who this is going to benefit. Right. And, and actually, people down the line, I'm not talking about in like two or three months. I'm talking like five, 10, 15 years. There are going to be people who build on that idea as well. And actually, that in itself is like leaving a legacy, which I think... I, I love I'm a big believer of legacy and I love that really no I, I I completely agree that's what really excites me it's about trying to and, and bring in others along the way you mm-hmm. know like of Isaac and, and other people within the community that we can really champion and and you know as as people who really want to get involved and show yeah. that you know it is possible um so yeah I mean I think you know I, I can very quickly see my role changing over the next couple <laughs> of years into one of one of a trainer and going out, you know, with these film studios and different uh, broadcasters and production companies to, you know, get the kit out there and, mm-hmm. and train them how to use it. And, um, and, and yeah, I think that that's going to be really interesting in terms of how to now signal to the community that, you know, this is a new opportunity that, you know, you can partake in and you can uh, engage. Mm-hmm. So let us so, talk about the disability paradox because I've okay. watched it many a time and I loved it because I thought it was very, very truthful and very, very raw. And I like, as I've already said, I'm not a big believer of like fluffing up disability. I think, don't get me wrong. I know my podcast is called Disabled and Proud, but there are some real, real life moments during that documentary. And I just, I wondered what was it that made you want to make it? Yeah, I think it was, sort of final acceptance of my disability because mm-hmm. um, I was told about earlier on about childhood and growing up in mainstream education. Um, I was never exposed to disability, mm-hmm. believe it or not, you know, um, at that sort of young age. And because I was going, you know, growing up around friends um, who were able-bodied and, um, you know, I, I knew it was different, obviously. I mean, um, and, and I, I knew I had a disability, but in terms of you know, being really interconnected with the disabled community and accepting mm-hmm. um, who I was 
um, it didn't really ring true until um, I guess in my early twenties when you know friends were settling down, having you know sort of long term relationships and getting married, mm-hmm. having kids and stuff. And, and I was sort of left then behind. And even you know I did experience that in school. Obviously you know when you know when friends were off playing football and stuff, and I was not not able to. And and there there was a I, I guess a, a moment um, in my late twenties when I sort of finally. Um, and even early 30s when I started to finally embrace it and mm-hmm. um, sort of accept the fact. And I think it was only after that that I, I really was able to get myself into a place that I was able to um, do something like the disability paradox, talk openly about my yeah. struggles with depression and try and see how others, you know, because that was the thing. It was about a, uh, you know, it was a journey of exploration to understand how others um felt and and it was so surprising to see um how I was in fact very different because I was expecting a sort of similar theme that everyone was going to be really unhappy (laughs) 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 um but but it was like to the contrary of that and that's the thing with disability paradox it's you know it was debunking this sort of thesis um which which is you know claiming that I mean it is like the, the the disability paradox states you should be um, you know, if you have a disability, you, you're you're going to be necessarily um, happy. You, you should be um, have a high quality of life and happy with with your your um, life, and um, despite your disability. Um, but it was really good, and um, I mean, I think the thing for me is it painted a picture, and it, it was very relatable to everyone. So it doesn't matter yeah. if you have a disability or, or not. I think that was the thing about the documentary that it. it gives everyone this idea about how to find happiness and, mm-hmm. and ultimately um for those that haven't seen it, I mean the, the conclusion is that you you know, you find happiness through so many different things and it's a culmination of all these different aspects of life, whether that's a career, whether that's a relationship, family, um and and that was the thing that resonated from all the different contributors that we had um mm-hmm. on, on the program. Um so it was like it was a really interesting journey. Uh, I'm very glad to have done it, and I think it was a a very bold thing for BBC to embark on because yeah. they at that time were very you know, and I know you've talked even you know to like some Warren Stapley and about this sort of polarized view with the disabled community about superheroes and you know, yeah, come up quite a bit. But the, you know that at that time when we were doing the the disability paradox, that was the you know the big theme. So for the BBC to have and done um, and embarked on this um, and allowed us to, to tell that story, uh, you know, in terms of what it was and that rawness, as you say. Um, yeah, I think that you really have to be commended for it because um, it, it was um, getting away from that sort of polar opposite that, that we had all seen so much of. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I loved it because it was so, it was such a truthful experience. And I really liked how it was, there was a lot of it that was like intertwined with personal experience, but then there was also like the science as well, like in terms of you had psychologists on and you were speaking to people who were in universities and like London School of Economics. And I, 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 I love, like personally, I love being able to match up like holistic well-being, but also with some science behind it because I can see it. I'm very great if I can see something, if I can't see something and, and I can't track it, I'm a bit like, oh, like where's your evidence like if you can't track it you can't change it and very much like that so I think that your 
the way that it was done was I just I really want to like thank you for it because I was watching it and I've watched it a good few times because I think every time I watch it I get something different out of it and what I I just love that it was so truthful like you said like it was a very much an exploration of, of how to find happiness but also this idea of the disability paradox and and there was also like loads of different contributors who, who all kind of said similar things, but also very different things as well, which is fascinating because you had someone like Brian who I love him. He like, oh my gosh, he is such a pure soul talking about how like his relationship was, is amazing. And then you have someone like Sam Rank who was like, actually, like, I don't have that experience and I, I, I suffer with dating and I'm being very honest and open about it. And the two of them, again, like me and you, are, disabled in completely different ways but they're still disabled and and again it's that different view different voices we all come from the same community but we all have different opinions and surprise surprise that is okay you can be in the disabled community and not agree with a disabled person that is fine <laughs> yeah no no 100 percent um and it's i think one of the other shocking things in terms of the differences in disabilities it was really I mean, it was sort of heart-wrenching to hear about Brian's story and his upbringing and the, mm-hmm. the challenges that he had and in terms of him being forced to wear prosthetics and things yeah. like that as a child. They're trying to fix him. And, you know, I, I think that that's the really good thing to look at now, you know, to take a snapshot of where we are. I mean, I, you know, all things said and done, we're talking about language and all these different things. Um, I, I genuinely think that we've never been in such a better time when it comes to diversity and inclusion and how the disabled community um, are viewed and the power that we have mm-hmm. in terms of trying to um, influence and shape change in a positive way. And, and I don't think, you know, saying that because I, you know, look back at Brian's story about how he was treated in the 50s, like yeah. that's never going to happen again. And that's, that's a really good and positive thing. Um, sister to reflect on um but yeah it was uh no look it was really great contributors were amazing and um yeah i'm just really really glad to have have done it um but uh you know obviously we've, we've had so many other amazing documentaries from the, the community that have come out mm-hmm. and um you know have, have been um extremely powerful in, in helping change perceptions and um making the world view disability in, in um, a different way. And there's a, the, the, I think that, that sort of fear aspect, uh, I used to think, you know, one of the points that you made, um, as in, it was in, actually, again, on Warren's um, uh, podcast, you were talking about uh, kids. And I think this is one of the, the problems that, you know, education is the, the next focus point in terms of, you know, making that inclusion happen and, and showing children how, um, disability is in society because that's obviously one of the problems and I keep you know I was in doing some training with Levi's and um, uh, Manchester uh, about a week ago and I was talking about this story um, where a number of years ago in Belfast I remember a little kid was getting out of the car and uh, he pointed he goes mommy mommy look at that tiny little man <laughs> And the, and the mother goes, get you in here. And it was just like that, uh, you know, na- very natural reaction. And obviously, you know, kids being kids. And, you know, that that really, it just highlights as, as like innocent and kids are, as kids are. And you can't blame them at all for their reaction when they see someone with disability. But it's, it's because there's so little education about how 
you know, disability. There's no normalization of disability that I can see happening in um, in, in education. And I think if, if that is the change, if that's the next focus point, I think we'll make leaps and bounds when it comes to inclusion, you know, over the, the coming um, generations, you know, in terms of how, how we're viewed in society. I um, think that's such a valuable point. It's such a valuable point because kids are naturally so curious. And, you know, like kids are taught that, well, they're not taught, but like when you look at a classroom of children, quite often there might be one disabled child. There's not really ever going to be more than five disabled children in one classroom. And and, and so this idea that disability is not just one one thing can, can really blow kids' minds. I mean, we're talking about people who are like four or five here. And you're so right. The sooner we have something in education that starts off younger and, and t- talking about disability in a way that's accessible to them, obviously don't make them listen to this podcast. This podcast will go over their heads. There's a lot of like, you know, technical terms. But if we do have something that is accessible for children so that they can learn about disability and they can, and it becomes more normalized, you're so right. It means that future generations and society in and of itself becomes a lot more accepting, a lot younger, which means that actually your acceptance is a lot quicker because yeah. as we all know, the older you get, the harder, the harder it is to change all that like whole can't teach an old dog new tricks, blah, 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 blah. But it is, it's true. The younger that you start with things like disability, the easier it is to accept. Yeah. And that's, yeah, for sure. that's such an important like point to take home is that everyone at some point is going to experience disability. So start education young because you won't get through this life unscathed or untouched by disability. Even if you, even if this doesn't, you know, touch you until you're like 70, it's probably you that's become disabled because you're now old and frail and everything breaks or alternatively you're old and that part of your body is not necessarily working as it used to. And therefore you're rendered disabled. Like that's how this world works. Now we're living longer. So the likeness is you're going to be touched by disability yourself. Yeah. No, completely agree. And, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, fingers crossed. I, I mean, I don't have all the answers, um, but I, like, I, I think there's so much stuff that, um, you know, obviously from what we've been talking about today, that, um, and, and obviously the, the, the you know, amazing guests that you've had on that, um, you know, you can see how, how there's, there's a lot of positive stuff that's happening and um, how, how the shape and the, the sort of landscape of the disabled community is changing. but uh, yeah so do you have a piece of advice for a younger version of you oh (laughs) (laughs) oh dear well I mean I could I I do need to go back and um, tell my younger self about all the accidents I'm going to have and how I'm (laughs) going to end up in hospital which is probably (laughs) the most sensible thing (laughs) Don't go here on this date because you will break your leg and it will just exactly. take you ages yeah. to recover and it's just not worthwhile. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's there's much advice that I could give because, you know, um, as I said, like we're all, we're all just figuring it out. And my, my young self was, um, yeah, very stubborn mm-hmm. and um independent and I guess just on my own journey and on my own path and determined just to 
should I see it through and whatever that may may be. But yeah, um, yeah, I think definitely the accidents. You know, probably probably leave it at that. But um, I love that. Genuinely, <laughs> love that. I love that answer because so many people are like, "Oh, like back yourself and you can do it." And and you know, it can be quite a deep question. But I love the fact that you're like, "No, I'm going to tell myself all the accents that just weren't worthwhile." That would really like save me time, save me effort. It would be great. <laughs> maybe a maybe a couple of winning lottery numbers as well for oh, the future. Yeah. Right. You know. Yeah. Like, yeah, on, on September, like, 1992, this will be the lottery number on Friday exactly. night, and you need to know yeah. this. Drum it into it's your skull. Got to get the big one, like the 152 million jackpot, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> so I like to think that through hardship, we learn something about ourselves. And I was wondering, through hardship that you faced, is there a particular positive trait that you're proud of? I, I think um, patience would be mm-hmm. probably the, the biggest thing, you know, um, and the ability to have, um, I, I hope I do, like a, a certainly a balanced view of the world and, and not try and um, let your emotions sort of draw in, um, you know, being, as I said, like for, for many people with my condition in particular and anyone else, you know, who, who has had to spend um, a lot of time in hospital um, as a result of their disability that you know you, you get to understand patients and having patients mm-hmm. now say, saying that you know if I've got a, a chain that's missing or, or late <laughs> you know I, I'm not patient in all areas of life let's just say but you know in, in terms of things that matter and, and being able to sort of weigh up various different situations you know and, and just um, take a bit of time before you sort of react and respond I think that's probably the the, the biggest thing that I've learned um, and, and that comes like with all of us over for times having experience and with age but um, and yeah I think that's that's something from an early um, age that I sort of gleaned that I could probably most relate to. Mm-hmm. I like to think about or not think about because that makes me sound like a bit of a weirdo but quite often as disabled people, we get asked really weird questions by the general public, yeah. particularly relating to our disability. And I was wondering, is there a particular set that somehow keep appearing in your life? And, and if there is, do you have like your quick witted answer that just comes out? Oh, yeah. All right. OK. OK. Yes. <laughs> OK. So in my clubbing days back in back in Belfast, before I moved to London, um, Many years ago, I, you know, would always have been out um, and and got asked, you know, by people, so what what happened to you? And I like, if anyone is familiar about the troubles that happened back in Belfast, you know, there's a lot of you know, violence, paramilitaries, and mm-hmm. all the rest. And my response, nine times out of ten, would be, I would look them straight in the eye and would say, I was shot, and they're looking. You were shot, jeez, oh, and and I don't know where to look. And, and it is like a a you know, just a golden moment that um that that then they they walk away and and it's the best thing just to you know yeah um but however one time I remember this this guy and and all you know the the thing is that people always will come over and say oh look 
mate's respect, so we're good to see you out. Uh, my my father's uncle's brother's sister's dog was in a wheelchair once. Um, you know, it's that type of relatability that they're trying to you know engage conversation. I think it's funny. Um, but there was this one guy in particular I remember. Um, this was back at a, a nightclub called The Coach many years ago, probably about 2001, 2002, showing my age here. Um, and the, this guy is like probably in his mid mid 40s or so. Same sort of thing. Said he was in a wheelchair for a couple of weeks. Um, he proceeds to pull up his shirt and shows me seven bullet holes in his back where he'd been shot by paramilitaries. And I'm sitting there going, shit. <laughs> So yeah, there's been a there's been a few interesting encounters along along the way. <laughs> I can so imagine like at that point in time where you've been like you've been like almost riding his story without knowing him, and then you're like, oh, like whoops, yeah. <laughs> haven't got any news, mate. But uh... <laughs> sorry, also told wow. a really good story. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but apart from yeah, so it's, it's been typically that thing. But I think most people get that. You know, there's there's often that aspect of relatability. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I only have one last question for you, Chris, and I have genuinely sure. loved this conversation. I think it's um, been super informative when it comes to the products that you're building, but also really truthful as well. And I think a lot of people are sometimes scared to be truthful about disability because they don't want to paint it with this negative brush. But actually, it's it's not necessarily about painting it with a negative brush. It's about being realistic, but also giving a 360 view rather than just this very, you know, minor 90 degree view of what disability actually is. But my final question for you is, are you disabled and proud? I am disabled and proud, Brick. yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh like I said I've loved this conversation because it's been very very truthful and there's something to really be said in being truthful when it comes to disability because it's as we've said quite a lot of people will either fluff it up or they'll go to the other extreme where it's literally like you're on death's doorsteps and that's it your life is over and I've really appreciated the balance that we've been able to strike here and I just want to really thank you for being so open and honest about your journey and I've loved it. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I absolutely loved every minute of it and so privileged to um, ask me to come on and chat with you today. So cheers, Brick. Oh, you're so welcome. It's amazing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disabled and Proud. If you've enjoyed the show, then please give it some love by leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. It really helps us to reach more and more people each week. Plus, if you've got a particular highlight, then I'd absolutely love to hear it. Tag me on your Insta stories at Disabled and Proud Podcast.